This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of Business by the Numbers. I'm your host, Hundemarist, CPA with Parmelis and Associates. We've all seen this episode before. The government hours away from shutting down and furloughing employees only to be saved at the last minute. However, nothing was actually passed. Instead, the ball was just kicked down the road. Why did this happen? What are the effects And now and later on this year? Before we get into that, I want to have a quick word from our partners who make business by the numbers possible. For over 30 years, Napatrax has made selecting the right shop management system easy by offering the best, most comprehensive SMS in the industry. We'll prove to you that Trax is the single best shop management system in the business. Visit them online at napatrax.com. That's N-A-P-A-T-R-A-C-S dot com. Promotive has over 40 years of recruiting and automotive experience. If you're in need of qualified technicians and service advisors and want to offload the heavy listing, visit them online at gopromotive.com. So we're not going to get into why this happened. If you want to get into the name calling, choose your favorite news source and they'll probably be blaming the other side of it. But the general idea here is really our government is run by petulant children that have zero care for the American population. We even had a politician pull a fire alarm to get out of a vote, which is honestly less surprising than that statement should be, given the ridiculousness of it all. What we are going to talk about, though, is why this is happening and what needs to happen over the next 45 days. Because whether you like it or not, maybe you like to stay out of politics. This stuff is probably already affecting your day-to-day life. And if this thing goes wrong, it's definitely going to affect it here in the short term. So like I mentioned earlier on this is the way that the government is funded is they have 12 major funding bills. Now, they do not run on a regular calendar year. They run in a fiscal year starting on October 1st, ending on September 30th. Hence, the reason why the shutdown you know, was averted on Sunday is October 1st was the first day of the new fiscal year. Without new budgets passed by legislation, they have to shut down and furlough a good bit of employees, which we'll talk about a little bit later. As you know, this was averted and it was pushed out 45 days. Of the 12 major funding bills that have to be passed, zero of them have been passed. So in the next 45 days, all 12 of these need to be agreed upon and ratified in order to avoid another shutdown in 45 days. There is some major issues and, you know, I don't like to get into politics or share my own personal beliefs on this, but I would be remiss if I just completely ignored some of the bigger underlying factors of what is the sticking points here. One of the major issues and one that's probably got the most publicity is the Ukraine funding and really, I guess, the overall future of government spending, but specifically Ukraine for a lot of politicians has been a non-starter. A lot of Republicans would not sign anything if there was any more support for the military operations going on in Ukraine. Now, obviously, there was a lot of Democrats. That was a non-starter if the funding was not included in there. But really, you know, I think that is a bit of a red herring because in the overall cost of this budget, while it is not insignificant, you know, tens of billions of dollars already spent and many more to be pledged in the future, it is not that big in the overall size of the budget that we're talking about here. Remember, the last federal budget was overall around $6 trillion. 10 or $40 billion seems like a lot of money. In the grand scheme of what they're arguing about, it is probably not the underlying issue. 
The long and short of it really is Democrats want to keep on spending and they claim that their current programs that they have will start to balance the budget, but over the longer term. They said this is not instant gratification that the ship cannot be steered this quickly. But with some of these policies and resolutions that they're trying to roll out here, they claim that this is going to start working over the long run. Five plus years. Most people argue 10 years at best. There's a lot of arguments that they will never actually correct the upside down budget or the budget deficit that we are currently running. Republicans, on the other hand, wanted to stop right now. They feel like that the national debt has got to already insurmountable levels. And if something is not done quickly, we could be already too late. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later. What is the right answer on it? Who knows? And, you know, they don't really care for my opinion and you should have your own opinions on the matter. But just like most things, the right answer is probably somewhere in the middle, especially if you're weighing the two extremes on the opposite side of the spectrum. Now, what happens if nothing is passed in the next 45 days? And by when I say nothing is passed, technically all 12 of these major funding bills have to be passed in the next 45 days so that nothing else has to happen. You know, let's say that magically they were all to sit down here today, sing Kumbaya, and rattle off and ratify all 12 of these bills, it's done over with. We don't have to deal with this for another year. Now, come on, we know better than that. It's not going to happen anytime soon. And if anything, we're probably looking at day 44 for some of these to get passed. The big thing where it's already starting to affect the market and there's already starting to create a lot of turmoil here is that if they've had an entire year to pass all 12 and they've got none done, what is the chances that these are all going to be passed in the next 45 days? And are we looking at an inevitable shutdown? Not necessarily, because another stopgap can be put in place. And we've seen this over the years that they can keep on kicking the ball down the road. They cannot do certain things when the stopgaps are in place. Some of the funding has already stopped. But essentially, when they do these, they're allowed to keep on going and they get a little bit of an extra time or extension of time. But even the stopgap needs bipartisan support. Neither party can pass this on their own. And so if one party or the other really wants to dig in here and play hardball, they could block a stopgap altogether, which would lead to a government shutdown. Now, even right now with the stopgap in place, it was not enough to appease the unrest of the market. The market has already affected. Remember, the market not only goes off of data, the market goes off of consumer confidence and overall expectations of the near and distant future. People don't like uncertainty, and neither do investors, neither does the stock market. If there is unrest, if there's uncertainty, if there's volatility expected in the future, there's a lot of people that aren't going to be wanting to invest, aren't going to be wanting to spend, hence hurting profits, hence hurting GDP, and overall markets are going to be affected. Now, what happens if worst case scenario does happen and the government truly does shut down? We've seen this before, and it happened back in 2019, and I believe the government was shut down for 35, 40 days, a good bit of time. Now, just like in the past, history does repeat itself, but it's very seldom exactly the same, and this case is no different. So before the shutdown in 2019, I don't remember any sort of time where there was any sort of you know shutdown, especially for that amount of time. It got closed in the past, and I think there might have been a day or two but nothing extended like what we saw back in 2019. As a lot of government employees were probably quickly Googling last week or even this weekend, 
What happens to government employees, including contractors, if the government was to shut down? Unlike your business, the government runs a little bit differently, and a lot of government employees are not actually funded by these spending bills. Any sort of appointed positions, politicians included, they would still get paid, which I think is a little bit ridiculous. The exact people that are the cause of this shutdown are one of the select few that are guaranteed to get paid over the next 45 days or whenever, no matter what. Now, in 2019, that 35 days, a lot of those employees never got back pay, including contractors as well. As I rightfully agree with this, you know, there's no reason that these government employees should be penalized for stuff that they really had no control over. Hey, their bosses were fighting about this and they couldn't come to an agreement. Bosses still got paid. Why are the employees expected to not get paid whatsoever? Also, a lot of these people were furloughed, meaning that they didn't have to work whatsoever. A lot of people were working without pay. So it's one thing to say, hey, you know what, Johnny? You didn't have to come into work. We're not going to pay you. Obviously, that is going to be a major impact to their personal financial situation. You can't go out and get a job knowing that you're going to get your job back here in hopefully a matter of days or weeks. But for the people that actually did show up at work, there has to be some sort of legality on this because you can't just not pay people when they're doing their job especially if you're the person that's supposed to be enforcing those same rules on everyone else. Now that the law is in place that any sort of government employee that's furloughed or made to work without pay has to get back pay. I know some of the government employees like to complain, oh, I might not, you know, get paid here. It doesn't mean that you're never going to get paid. I get it. You know, times are tough. And if you need that money, I'm not sure, you know, what people are going to do to make things work in the meantime on it. But if you were to be financially sound and you did get furloughed for 30 days and the other 30 days you came back and got paid for all of it while you sat at home, you know what? That doesn't sound too bad of a deal either. But it's a lot bigger than that. And then, like I said, that's not the case for most people. A lot of people are still asked to work and do their day-to-day responsibilities with the hope that they are going to get paid. Napatrax has made selecting the right shop management system easy by offering the industry's best, most comprehensive SMS. It all starts when a local representative meets with you to learn about your business and how you need to run it. After all, it's your shop, so it's your choice, and having a local representation is a huge plus. Customizing tracks to your business, whether you're a one-person shop or a large multi-bay or multi-location company, Our representative consults with you to help optimize your shop's workflow, efficiency, and profitability. And unlike the other guys, we'll be there for you after installation with the best training and support in the business with a learning management system tailored to each role in your company. Simply put, Trax was designed and built for shop owners just like you. Visit us on the web at napatrax.com. That's N-A-P-A-T-R-A-C-S.com. Are you tired of spending endless hours searching for the perfect talent to join your team? Promotive is your full-service automotive staffing solution. At Promotive, we believe in being more than just a recruiting agency. We become an extension of your team, working tirelessly to ensure we place the right talent with the right shops. With our always-be-recruiting mindset, we're constantly seeking out the best professionals in the industry. We manage 90-95% to of the recruiting process, taking the burden off your shoulders. When you partner with Promotive, you gain a dedicated recruiter and account manager who will work closely with you, understanding your unique requirements and seeking out candidates who fit seamlessly into your shop's culture. We'll ensure that every candidate we present is thoroughly vetted and aligned with your needs. 
With Promotive, you'll have a peace of mind knowing that we're handling the recruitment process with expertise and precision. We don't just match resumes, we match character, culture, and long-term success. Visit our website at gopromotive.com today and experience the power of Promotive's expertise and dedication. Together, we'll build a stronger and more successful team. One argument here is, hey, just as quickly as they enacted a rule to say all of us get back pay, these are the same people that could sometimes come back and say, you know what, we are going to pay you guys, but 60 cents on a dollar, 30 cents on a dollar. They control all of the chips here. So I get it. It's a very tricky situation and probably a lose for everyone. The bigger thing here is, though, is the government contractors make up a large portion of our official government and also ancillary services and business that that go along with that. Think about the impact of this in the short term. If these people were not to get paid for a week or two weeks of just how much spending and just how much money that is taken out of the entire U.S. economy and to a certain degree the global economy as well. These numbers should be fairly easy to get, but for whatever reason, it was actually a little bit tricky to come up with concrete figures. I've had some stuff in the past where I've put out some numbers and statistics and people have came back and said, hey, I actually saw this and that. Yeah, some of this stuff is as clear as mud. And just with anything with politics, I'm sure that there's a spin on it. What I did here with these numbers is I tried to do my best to filter through that noise. And really, I wouldn't be worried about the absolute numbers, just the overall idea behind it. Depending on who you ask, and we had some good data on this because it was looking to be pretty imminent. If this stopgap was not placed or if the government was to have completely shut down on Sunday, about 1 to 1.5 million government employees would be going without pay in the short term. Like I said, about a third of those would be completely sent home. A large majority of those ones would still be expected to work because they're in required services. They just were going to be working without pay. Now, like I said, the government and the official government employees are one thing. The larger government contractor and animal that we have created here is probably the larger issue. The government can decide yes or no, we are going to pay you or not. Government contractors are still private entities, but their major customers is obviously the U.S. government. And as of right now, current figures estimate government contractors make up about 19 million employees. How many of these would be affected? How many of these would be affected in the short term or long term? is very difficult to actually quantify. But to put that into perspective of how many employees here are directly affected, it makes up about 20% of the U.S. workforce. And in other words, one in five employees in this entire country are paid in some way by the government, whether they're directly paid by the government or they work for a government contractor. One out of every five people is directly tied to the federal government. And this stat alone should make people really sick to their stomachs. How can a government work for us if one in five of us actually works for the government? Do you see how upside down this is and why there is such a growing divide that seems harder and harder to bridge? We have got to a size that is probably the exact opposite of what we use for some businesses. Too big to fail. This is almost too big that how does it not fail? How do we ever unwind this and go to what most people would argue is what the government was made to be, to support our population, to listen to constituents and do something for the betterment of the entire country, not a select few and not a select few in Washington, D.C. Now, what are the broader effects on this? You know, and why are we talking about this? 
One of the big reasons, you know, that I wanted to talk about this is, like I've said in the past, is this is something that is close to my heart. If you can hear me talk about it, it's something that, you know, really pisses me off to see. And it should piss you off, too, because you are funding this in one way or another. This is where your tax dollars go. And what they're voting on is how to spend your money that they've taken from you, you've given to them. I guess it depends on who you ask. Also, you, this is something that is in current event. This is something that is talked about a lot, government shutdown. Everyone's heard of it. But you might not understand why it's happening, what are our options here, and how it's going to affect you. And this is really what I want to get into in this last section is, okay, we know what happened. We know what needs to happen or could happen over the short term here. But what are the broader effects to this that are going to affect you personally or your business, but probably a combination of both? So like I talked about before, the market reacts to not only data of profits, of cash, reserves, and stuff like that. But consumer confidence, and honestly, in the recent future, a lot more on non-financial data than actual financial data, which could be one of the core issues here as well. And if you are a federal employee, are you pumped to spend a lot of money in the next month or so? This comes down to very simple. Hey, how is this going to affect people? Imagine if you're, you know, making $100,000 and you work for the federal government. And in normal times, it's a pretty guaranteed paycheck. For any of you that work for the government and have friends that do, It's not something where you get fired a lot from. But what if there's no money to pay you? Do you think that you're going to think twice about going out and spending some money in some local businesses? Do you think you're going to think twice about making a large purchase, whether it's a car or house or something like that? Also, what if you're a company that deals with the government or a direct government contractor? What are your thoughts on capital investments? What are your thoughts on mergers? What is your thoughts about buying real estate or investing in new technology? Do you think that you're going to be a bit more cautious and sit on your hands and sit on your cash a little bit? Or do you think that you're going to be spending like there's no tomorrow? Time will tell and a lot of people, you know, ignore this. And a lot of people make foolish financial moves without looking at the big picture. But realistically, this is a massive underlying bubble here that is growing. And while we can't guarantee you that it's going to kill spending over the next month and a half, I think that it would be very hard to argue that it's going to help it. Also, major projects have already been affected. And one of my clients actually is already in the middle of this one right now is when government contractors get these contracts, it does not mean that they are getting paid. And a lot of times it doesn't mean that they're getting paid anytime soon. I have a customer that I work with or a client that I work with is actually outside the automotive space, but they deal with some government contracting in the construction sector. And they've been awarded a contract and they're doing some work on a project you know, a multi-billion dollar project that's been funded, it's been approved for four, five years now and is just starting to get off the ground. But anyone that's familiar with the construction industry, or really, I guess this is any industry in general, just like you for an automotive shop, you don't want to start a project until you know that you can complete it. You're not going to start tearing into an engine and rebuilding it knowing that you don't have a new crankshaft for it. It's foolish to do that. And a lot of these projects are the exact same story. Hey, why are we going to get people on the job site? Why are we going to get material out there? Why are we going to do startups just to have to shut this down for the next couple of weeks? That might not affect the government because a lot of these projects are arguably things that they probably never need, but don't need in the short-term future. But what about these contractors? How many people have been hired knowing that they have this work to do? How many people have been staged and how many other stuff have been pushed off to try and do these projects? And for them to just say, hey, we're going to hold off on that, that really starts to have a ripple effect right down to the average American. This starts at the top with the highest level of the government, going to major 
government contractors that control a large amount of this down to the subcontractor that's doing, you know, welding or doing any sort of pipe fitting, electrical work that is just there to show up and get paid. There's no work, you don't get paid. Now, if you remember a couple months ago, one of the major credit rating agencies also downgraded the U.S. credit in a big show of power. One of their major gripes of this is they said that United States spending had gotten out of control and there was no signs of that stopping. Do we think that there has been any change since that happened and now? No. And if anything, it's gotten worse. And one of the things that they also argued about, too, is they do not like volatility. If you're looking for credit worthiness, you want even Steven. You want no news is good news. Keep it simple. Keep it boring. And that is the exact opposite of what our government has been recently, more specifically as it relates to national debt and our overall budget as well. And just as early as last week, one of the other major ones, arguably the second biggest, Moody's, has come out and said that if the government was to shut down, it would leave them no choice but to evaluate a credit downgrade for the United States. This would be something that is historic and not often been done, and the times that it has been done has been had major effects. Now, if you want to read a little bit of a funny story about this, I guess it's not funny. It's actually really sad. But the last time one of the major credit agencies downgraded the U.S. credit, the SEC launched a large investigation to it, tried to find these guys a bunch of money, and almost got away with it until some whistleblowers came through and said, guys, these investigations started two weeks after the credit downgrade on this. And ultimately, the government had to come out and they're never going to apologize, but they just said, hey, you know what? We're just going to drop this. We're going to ignore this indictment, these fines and stuff like that. But the government, you don't mess with their money. If you mess with their money, they get pretty mean. And if any of you have been in any sort of tax trouble, you know that all too well. But what happens if this credit rating was to get downgraded? And like we saw you know, with Fitch a little bit earlier this year, even a smaller one like Fitch did have a rippling effect. And the government is no different than you and I when it comes to borrowing. The government right now, or the United States in general, is $32 trillion in debt, which means that they owe people, nations, companies, corporations, whoever, $32 trillion. And that comes along with interest. And think about this credit rating, and they don't look at it of you know, FICO scores of 850, 825. They look at it as letter ratings. With the highest rating, or a perfect credit of 860, could be translated into these terms as a triple A credit rating. What Fitch did in the summertime is they downgraded it to a double A plus. AA plus. So one notch below perfect credit, but even that's enough to have market changes. Now think about this, and I want to put this in personal finance terms. If your credit was to go from 850 down to 650, it's an extreme example, probably not apples to apples, but what do you think that's going to do with your rates if you were to go get a car you go get a house? Or what do you think it's going to do in an absolute sense of possibly even getting credit in general? If you show up to a bank with a 425 credit score, they're not even going to be talking interest rates. They're going to be talking about which door you're going to be walking out of because they're not going to want to talk to you. And that is exactly the big concern with the United States right now is, hey, we know that we have a budget deficit. We know we're going to have to continue to borrow money for the near future. Is our credit downgraded going to make people leerier to invest in the United States? And the people that are willing to invest in the United States, at what cost and how much is that going to raise our interest rates? We have already seen just in the past year a massive increase in the amount of interest that the United States is paying. 
Last year, the United States spent about $420 billion on interest to service the national debt. Current projections for 2023 have that number at around $650 billion. That's a massive increase just over one year. And over that one year, we have also seen overall interest rates rise as well. And so where does that look to go in the future? This one is hard because this is all projections. And there's some projections that leave that number slightly unchanged. There's some projections that have that number sky high. But there is a good bit of projections out there that argue that we are going to clear the $1 trillion number. And there's a good chance that our interest or our debt service on the interest could be almost $1.5 trillion by this time next year. To put that in perspective, at $650 billion, that's almost 10% of the government budget that is going to interest. And $1.5 trillion, if we kept our spending the same, would make up about 25% of the national budget. To put that in perspective for you, imagine if you made $100,000 a year. Now, depending on how much you make, that might be more or less than you're taking home right now, but just follow me. So you make $100,000 a year and you have a massive amount of debt to the tune of about $25,000 a year going to credit cards or going to banks. A quarter of your money is going to pay interest. There is nothing to show for it, right? You're paying for the sins of your past. That's what interest is. And that's exactly what the federal government is staring down the barrel of right now. And this right here is why many say that we have no time to act and are already too far over skis. This is why a lot of hardline Republicans are very unwilling, and rightfully so, I would say to a certain degree, to have any sort of talk about delaying this, pushing this down the road. If we wait four or five years like some politicians are pushing for, is that too little too late? And do we have no time to act but now? And maybe even now is too late already, and only time will tell. What does this all mean, and can we really do anything about it? Probably not. We've lost control of the people that are supposed to be elected to re represent us. We have a massively bloated and wasteful government that seems impossible to fix. Maybe a major recession or reset is actually what we need, but what comes after that? And this isn't meant to be a doomsday speech, but anyone that is just closing their eyes and hoping for the best is ignorant at best, but foolish nevertheless. Should this be affecting your business decisions? I would say interest rates probably have already done that to a certain degree. But I would say, yes, this is something that you should be mindful of in your business and your personal life as well. To really put a cherry on top of this, October, while still a decent month for the overall market, is notoriously one of the most volatile months out of the calendar year, with also a history of the largest market drops in history, including the most recent crisis that we saw in 2008. To put this in automotive terms, would you rather work on a car that is on a lift, stable and still, or one that is moving up and down with a maniac at the controls? It's maybe a bit over the top, but less of a ridiculous analogy than it really should be. So I hope you enjoyed this. Please share this with friends, fellow shop owners, or really anyone. This is stuff that we should be aware of. This is stuff that you should know. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, please shoot me an email at podcast at Thanks again for listening on the Aftermarket Radio Network. You can find all shows on your favorite podcast listing app. Thanks again for joining me on Business by the Numbers. Stay safe out there, and I will talk to you all next week. You've been listening to Business by the Numbers with Hunt Demarest on the Aftermarket Radio Network. 
Follow Hunt on your favorite podcast listening app. Let him know what you'd like him to cover. His email is in the show notes. Hunt is all for advancing the aftermarket.